A very good morning. I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 3, and our reading this morning will be from verses 6 through to verse 13. Let us hear the word of the Lord. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord." For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Please join me in a word of prayer. Our gracious and mighty God, we are so thankful that we have had the privilege this morning to honor your great name. We thank you for these songs of praise, for you are worthy to receive all the adoration and attention. I do pray now that as your word is opened, we ask that you magnify the greatness of your name to us. May we see in this text your greatness, your care toward us, your people. And I pray that you give us the help to respond by being satisfied in you and also by your grace, walking in obedience, fully pleasing to you. I pray now that you give us the ears that we all need. Help us to hear what you have revealed. And I pray this now in Christ's name, amen. What is a caring person. When you think of a person who cares, a person who is concerned, you begin to think about somebody who is actually interested in you. They care about your stories. They care about your successes and your struggles. They listen to you. They want to hear what's in your heart. A person who truly cares is a person who knows how to laugh with you when you laugh. It's a person who knows how to cry with you when you're crying. A caring person is a person who knows how to be quiet when they should. They know how to speak when they should. I wonder if there are some people who come to your mind when you think of a caring 
person. Well, one thing is very clear for us today when we think about the idea of caring. The attitude and action ought to be a prevailing reality in the life of the church when it comes to care and concern. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be a place that is marked by this idea of care. Together with the people of God, people of all stages of life, people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time and some for a brief period of time, this ought to be a place that is marked by care. Are we not told in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, that we are to cast our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. Our Heavenly Father deeply cares for all of His people, and we, the children of our Heavenly Father, ought to be like Him in that regard. We ought to be a people who truly care. But when it comes to this idea of caring, I want to give you a glimpse this morning into the life of a man who truly cared. Now, the things that we're going to be learning this morning aren't entirely new. In many ways, this is a continuation from the passage that Pastor Ken preached for us last week as we learnt about the features of a pastor's heart. And what I want to share with you this morning from the passage I've just read for you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through to 13, is two features of genuine Christian concern. What does genuine Christian concern look like in the life of the church? It's not enough for us to say we are a caring people. That's great and that's nice, but that's not enough. What does it look like? What does it mean to have genuine, deep, heartfelt care and concern for the people of God? Well, there are many places we could look at in Scripture, but here in 1 Thessalonians, we have a glimpse into the heart of a truly caring man, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a rather intense individual. He was driven. He was bold. He was courageous. But there was also something else about him. He was a caring man. He was like a roaring lion in his courage. But there was the tenderness of a lamb about him. And this is what we see in this passage this morning. And what I want you to draw from this text is two features of genuine Christian concern. Let me give you these two features up front, and then we'll dive into this text. First of all, we're going to see in verses 6 through to verse 8, personal interest. A person who genuinely cares will have personal interest in the lives of others. And secondly, we'll see in verses 9 to 13, passionate intercession. A person who genuinely cares will have personal interest in the lives of God's people and will passionately intercede for them. So let's begin with the very first feature of genuine concern, and that is personal interest. 
Let's back up and remind ourselves of what's going on in this book. Why is Paul saying what he's saying in this passage? Why is he bearing his heart and talking about the deep, heartfelt care and concern he has for this church that is at least a 10-day journey away by foot? What is it about this church that makes his heart beat for them? Well, Paul had spent some time in this city. He had been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as a result of hardship and persecution, he had to flee. And this young congregation was left without Paul. As he had been removed from this church, the thought of this church never left his mind He would think about them often. He would pray about them often. And he was genuinely concerned for their spiritual welfare. Are they growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Did their hearts really receive the gospel that I passionately shared with them? Did they actually go from the kingdom of darkness and move into the kingdom of light? So Paul dispatches one of his most trustworthy co-laborers in the gospel, and that is his young protege in the faith, Timothy. Timothy has gone to establish the Thessalonian church, to encourage and equip the Thessalonian church, and he is going to come back to Paul and give him a report. And as Paul receives the information from Timothy, he writes this letter. In the first three chapters, he spends time encouraging them so that they may continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he takes time trying to encourage them, he actually lets them know how much they've encouraged him. And then in chapters 4 and 5, he moves from encouragement to exhortation. He says, here are some things that I have learned about you that you need to improve in. You need to continue to develop in and grow in. And this is why he writes this letter. So this particular passage we're going to look at this morning, verses 6 to 13, is the end of that first section. It's the end of the section where he is striving to encourage them and be encouraged by them. So Paul has sent Timothy. And Timothy has come back with some news. Now, you know what it's like waiting for news. Now, I know we live in the modern era. We have mobile phones, and you send someone a message, and you get it back straight away. Even our emails come back pretty quickly. You can even get updates on people's lives on social media. Isn't it amazing that you can be in the family And all of a sudden, somebody who's not in your family will learn the news of something very exciting in your family before you do because they happen to be on Facebook before you were. We live in a time of instant communication. But we still every now and then have to wait for good news, don't we? We have to wait for a letter in the mail. We have to wait for an acceptance letter. Whatever it is, there is something pretty exciting about waiting. I do remember the days of actually going to the letterbox every single day to wait and see if a letter comes. These days, there's never anything exciting in the letterbox, of course. But you remember those days, the anticipation, is it today that the news is coming? Well, Paul was waiting at his letterbox, so to speak, 
Timothy is about to come back and share with Paul what is happening in the Thessalonian church. The very fact that Paul sends Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and the very fact that Paul is eagerly waiting for the news of Timothy concerning how the Thessalonian church is faring says a lot about Paul's care and concern for this church. The very fact that he is trying to make contact with them shows that he has personal interest. And that's the very first thing I want you to see in verse 6. Paul's personal interest in this church was demonstrated by the contact he made with this church. Have a look again. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, why has Timothy come to Paul and his associates from the Thessalonians? Because Paul sent him to the Thessalonians to bring back news. Paul here is showing initiative. He is actually making contact with this church. The only reason Paul makes contact with them, the only reason he has sent Timothy is because he is actually personally interested in what's going on in the life of that church. We will all do very well to see the proactive heartbeat of Paul here as he seeks to make contact with God's people. Paul, in a moment, is going to be impacted by this contact. It is going to do something to him, and that, in the end, is going to result in him giving something back to that church that's going to bless them. But the blessing that the Thessalonians are about to receive, the blessing that Paul is about to receive, all comes from the fact that he is personally, deeply interested in their spiritual welfare. The very first feature of care and concern that Paul demonstrates in this segment of Scripture is his personal interest. And the personal interest is seen in the fact that he makes contact with them. Now, I love what Paul goes on to say in verse 6. Timothy's come back, he says. And I even love the opening two words. But now, he's showing them the excitement of the fact that Timothy came. He actually shared with us what is going on in your church, in your life. Timothy has shared with me this report. And look what Paul describes this report as. He has come and he has brought us good news. Now, I want you to notice that that translation there, good news, is an excellent literal translation. But you know what the word is in the Greek text? It's the word that is often translated gospel used to refer to the saving work of God in Christ for us. Every other occurrence in the New Testament, it is used to refer to what Christ achieved for the people of God at the cross. This is the only occurrence in the New Testament where Paul takes this word for gospel and he doesn't use it in that context. And that's not a mistake because this is clearly a word that Paul uses throughout his letters to talk about the saving work of Christ. 
So what's the point here? What Paul is doing here is something that is designed to startle the Thessalonians. It is designed to have their eyes wide open at what he's saying. What Paul is saying is this. When Timothy brought back a report about you to me, it was like hearing the gospel. You know how much Paul loved the gospel? He lived for the gospel. He breathed the gospel. He preached the gospel. He loved the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is so interested in the lives of the people of God that it brought a thrill to him like hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't think you can disconnect the spiritual stability of God's people with that saving work of the gospel. I think there is a link there. So what I want you to see here is the personal interest of Paul. He is actually interested in the Thessalonian believers. And this interest is demonstrated by him actually making contact with them. And when Timothy comes back, he is genuinely interested. He says to them, it was like hearing the gospel when I heard how you were faring. So how were they faring? How was the Thessalonian church going? Well, Paul goes on to say that I heard the good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. As Paul made contact with them, he learned that this church was growing. They were thriving. He learnt about their faith and love. And I want you to just note in those two words, you have a summary of Christian living. That is what the Christian life is all about. It is about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for the people of God. Genuine love for God's people will flow from a living and active relationship with Jesus Christ that is exclusively directed at Him. Faith is trusting in Christ. And here we see this church is genuinely connected to the vine. They are looking to Jesus. They are not looking to themselves to be approved by God. They are not looking to their traditions, their performances. They're not looking to the world in anything. They are exclusively looking to Christ. They hold on to Him. And as a result of holding on to Him, they are pouring out love, love for the saints love for those who are outside the church. Paul is personally interested in this church and what warms his heart is to hear that this church has genuine faith in Christ and they are living that faith out. They're loving each other. They're sacrificing for each other. They care for each other, and they even care for outsiders, and we'll see this in just a moment. But Paul goes on to say that I've not only heard that your life is a genuine Christian life, but you actually have good memories of us. You remember us. Now, that is something you can easily read past, but did you see what this means to Paul? He had only been with them for a brief time and he had to be snatched away. He wanted to go back, but Satan hindered his path. Paul could not get to the Thessalonian church. He was praying for them. His heart was anxious for them. 
He wanted to know how they're faring. And the moment he heard that they have faith in Jesus, love for each other, and they actually have good memories of Paul, that filled his heart with so much encouragement. Not only did that encourage him, he let them know how encouraged he is of them that I have not forgotten you. Now, I think they would know this already, but he goes on to say that you greatly desire to see us as we greatly desire to see you. Paul has made contact with this church, and this contact reveals his personal interest in them. Now, I want you to notice what this contact has now done to Paul. As Paul shows his personal interest in the individual lives of these Thessalonian believers, this contact then has an impact. Have a look at verse 7. Therefore, brethren, in other words, after I heard the good news that you have faith in Jesus, that you love each other, and that you actually have fond memories of us, and you want to see us again. Therefore, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. This is beautiful what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, after I heard about you, and how you're doing, and how you're growing, it has comforted me. Now, Paul needed comfort because he's going through both affliction and distress. Pressures are beating upon him. Hardship is on his pathway. Now, we get insight into those hardships of Paul when you read things like 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and there you read about the stresses that he went through, the persecutions he faced, the sleepless nights he had, the beatings he endured, the mockings he experienced, the times where he had no food, he had no clothing. He experienced really difficult times, and the the reason why he experienced such afflictions and distresses was all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul linked himself to Christ, and as a result of linking himself to Christ, he received the overflow of afflictions directed toward him. Paul was in a hard situation. But let us all be reminded that in one way or another, in different shapes and sizes, all of God's people are going to experience afflictions and distresses. Now, sometimes we might feel a little bit embarrassed because my affliction, which genuinely hurts me, my distress, which burdens me, doesn't seem to be as horrible and bad as what others are experiencing, and we don't tend to want to share it with others. But let us all be aware that no matter how big or small the distress or affliction that you are experiencing is, no matter what thing that is breaking your heart, whether it be a loved one that doesn't know Christ, whether it be trials that you are going through, whether it is a dark season that you're in right now, whether it be the pressures of life that are coming upon you, whether it be loneliness, sadness, sometimes you can't even explain why you're feeling the way you feel, but we need to know that these things are going to be a part of our lives. And as Paul was in the midst of distress and affliction, look what happens to him. 
He says, I made contact with you, and after I made contact with you, my contact with you had an impact on me because I learned about your spiritual stability and your spiritual stability, though you're in a different place, it had consequences on me. I'm now encouraged. See that word encouraged? The idea here is coming alongside and supporting, comforting. Though the Thessalonians were in a different place, Paul says to learn about how you are actually going in Christ, it is as if you're standing by my side with your arm around me saying, Paul, we're sorry that you're in these hard times, but keep on going, brother. Keep pressing on. Now, what's the point? The point is this. If we are going to show genuine concern for one another here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we need to be the type of people who have a personal interest in the lives of each other. And that does not just come automatically. That comes as a result of, first of all, genuinely being in the body of Christ, that we are in Christ and we share something in common. But once we establish that, we are to show personal interest in the lives of one another. Genuine interest. And that begins with contact. We need to contact one another. We need to phone one another. We need to write to one another. We need to visit one another. We need to actually be thinking about one another. And we're not going to show personal interest in the lives of each other if we're actually not taking time to even be thinking about each other. But do you see a glimpse into Paul's deep concern? Do you see a pastor's heart here in this text? This here is what every pastor ought to be like. But this is also what all of God's people ought to be like. We ought to be individuals who are personally interested in the lives of the people of God. But the impact continues. Paul not only says that you have now comforted me after thinking about your faith, but he goes on to say in verse 8, and listen how, how elaborate this language is. He says, for now we live since you stand fast in the Lord. Wow. Paul is basically saying, you've just completely rejuvenated me. It's like I was a dead man. I was really down. But after hearing about your spiritual stability, it's like I'm alive now. And did you know that actually happens? You might not always see it, but when others see your love for the Lord Jesus, when they see you seeking to trust him, I know we're not perfect. We are far from it. But as you are striving to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no idea the consequences that that has on those around you. You think about the times you've been uplifted when you see the smile of a saint, when you see that warm engagement that a fellow Christian displays to you. When you talk to somebody and they look you in the eyes and you can tell that they actually are listening to what you're saying. To see that spiritual strength, that genuineness in a brother or sister in Christ has consequences. So let us all be mindful that the way we are conducting ourselves as the people of God will have consequences. We can often have negative consequences. 
but we want to strive for the positive ones. And we don't want it to be fake. It's not about putting on this external fake smile. It's about having a genuine faith in Christ, and that will automatically flow out in a love for the people of God. So Paul says, after making contact with you, I learned about how you were going and my contact with you then had an impact on me and that impact was so huge, it has rejuvenated me. I'm alive now, says Paul. And for Paul to say that is rather amazing. But what that is demonstrating is this is simply flowing out of a heart that beats for the people of God. This is a pastor's heart. This is Christian concern. This is genuine care. But the impact continues. The impact that comes as a result of Paul's contact not only benefits Paul, but now that Paul has been strengthened, now that he feels alive, he then gives it back to the Thessalonian believers. And this is how we build one another up. We're often being blessed and blessing. Blessing and being blessed. And it just keeps going that way. In fact, we lose track. Was I just blessed by you or did I just bless you? What's going on here? And you know, we should get lost in that. And that's what happens in this passage because Paul then goes on and says that I have not only shown a personal interest in you, but I also want you to know, and he doesn't even have to announce this, he just does it, and that is I have a passionate intercession for you. And this is the second feature of genuine concern. A person who is genuinely concerned for others not only is personally interested in others, but they are passionately interceding for them. They pray for them, in other words. This is what we see in verses 9 to 13. Now, as you glance down at verses 9 to 13, I want you to notice that two things are going on here. First of all, Paul describes his prayer for them. He describes what he has been doing for the Thessalonian believers. And this is so that He would encourage them. It is actually nice to let others know that you're praying for them. It's a beautiful thing to silently pray, but do let others know that you are praying because this actually is a means of encouragement to know that you're being prayed for. So Paul, first of all, describes his prayers for the Thessalonians, but then he actually goes ahead and prays for them. And what we have then in verses uh, t- 11 to 13, is one of the many prayers of Paul in the, in the letters of the New Testament. So let's first of all look at how Paul describes his prayer. He goes on to say in verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. What Paul is saying there is that when I hear about your spiritual stability, when I hear about your faith in Jesus, when I hear about your love for the saints, when I hear about the fact that you're actually longing to see us again and that you have fond memories of us, when I hear all that, Paul says, I give thanks to God. Paul here is affirming and recognizing the fact that whenever there is any spiritual stability in the life of any Christian, all glory goes to God. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who is the 
one providing the grace and the ability for us to grow. Though we have a genuine responsibility to give ourselves to the means that God wants us to participate in, prayer, the reading of the word and the fellowship of the people of God and coming around the Lord's table, it is God who is the one bringing that increase. It is God who is causing us to grow. It is God who is doing this work. And Paul here immediately says to the Thessalonians, I go to God and I thank him for what he's doing in you. And that's encouraging to us as well to know that God is doing a work in the lives of his people. As you grow, as you love, as you long for other believers, you can be comforted and encouraged that that's something God's doing in you. And that is a real privilege. Paul then goes on and displays firstly the frequency of his passionate intercession. Have a look at what he says. Night and day I have been praying. The frequency of Paul's passionate intercession for the Thessalonian believers was not an occasional prayer. They didn't just pop into his mind and then pop out again. He was constantly thinking about them and he was constantly praying about them. I think the idea of this night and day is something that Paul later on is going to encourage them to do in chapter 5 and verse 17 where he says, pray without ceasing. In other words, pray like you're breathing. And that's what I'm doing, says Paul. As I breathe, I pray, and I am constantly bringing you to the throne of grace. First of all, we see that Paul has a passionate intercession by means of the frequency. Then look at the fervency. He goes on to say, praying exceedingly, praying passionately, praying with a burning desire for you. I am doing this eagerly, is the idea here. I am praying for you frequently. I am praying for you fervently, which means their needs are going deep into his heart. And then he says, I want to share with you the focus of my prayer, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. His prayer for the Thessalonians is that I pray that God will enable me to actually see your face again, and I want to see your face so that I can continue to be an encouragement to you so that you grow even more. That's the idea of what he says at the end of verse 10. And he then demonstrates this after describing his prayer. He demonstrates it by actually praying. And have a look at what he does in verses 11 to 13. He gives two requests to God, and then we learn about the reason for the request. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. The first request is that he prays that he will actually have opportunity to see the Thessalonian believers. And I want you to have a look again at verse 10. He says, I'm doing this night and day that we may see your face. I believe there's only one other time in this letter where Paul has actually referenced the fact, yes, it's chapter 2 and verse 17, where he says, we've endeavored more eagerly to see your face. 
It's not enough for Paul to get a letter about the Thessalonians. It's not enough for him to get a report. His heart will not be satisfied until he actually sees their face. And I can't help but draw the application to say, as we find ourselves in these very strange and unusual times, we have been separated from one another for a time, but may God give us the same burning passion and desire that he gave Paul that says, I will not be satisfied until I see your face. Because there is something about the actual contact of the people of God in fellowship with one another. You know why there is something in that? Because that's what God has built us to enjoy for all eternity. In Revelation 5, we learn that there is going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Looks a little bit like this room. And we're going to gather together for all eternity with one another, enjoying our Lord, enjoying the blessedness of the glory of heaven. That's what we're built for. Eternity is written on our hearts. We ought to crave after this. And we ought to pray that we would be together again. We would see one another face to face. And Paul said this twice, and I really think that's an emphasis that he's making in this letter. And then he goes on to not only pray that God would direct our way to you so that we can actually see you and fellowship with you, but secondly, he requests that the Lord would make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. Paul says, I pray that I would be able to come and encourage you so that you grow even more. And that's why we need to gather together because none of us have made it. I know how much I need you. I know how much I need other believers to help me in my growth. I know how much I need to hear other Christians pray. It teaches me to pray. It encourages me to pray more. I need to watch other believers treat other believers warmly and kindly. It benefits me, and it ought to benefit you. And Paul says, I long to go to you so that I can encourage you to grow more. And that's why we gather. That's why we want to be with one another. And this concern of Paul for the Thessalonians is seen in his intercession for them. And what is the reason for this? Verse 13, so that... That clause reveals purpose, reason, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This is the third time he's referred to the second coming of Jesus. Paul here looks at the big picture of the Thessalonians' life and their salvation, and that is Paul recognizes that the moment you become a believer, you are pardoned of your sin in, the, in justification. He knows that you are being saved from the power of sin in sanctification, but he knows that you will be saved from the presence of sin in glorification that day you meet the Lord Jesus in the air. You will be fully changed. And Paul knows that that is where your salvation is going. That is where your life is going. Christ is coming back. You will be gathered with him with the saints. Notice that. You will, uh, Christ will come 
with all his saints. Paul is drawing this idea of fellowship and togetherness together. That's where this is ultimately going. You will be with God's people for all eternity with Christ. And I pray that I would see you and I pray that I would encourage you so that that would be a means to bring you closer to where we're all ultimately going. Now, as we look at this passage, I've shown you what genuine care and concern looks like. Among many things, genuine care and concern has two features. It has personal interest and it has passionate intercession. This ought to be the heartbeat and practice of every pastor. And this ought to be the heartbeat and practice of every believer. But as important as that is, we're going to let one another down. We're not always going to have the right level of personal interest in the lives of each other. We're not always going to be passionately praying. But you know what the good news is? There is one who always has personal interest in you. There is one who is always passionately interceding for you. Did our Lord Jesus not say seven times to the seven churches, I know your works? The reason he knows is because he's interested. I know all the good things that you're doing, but I know all the bad things. I know all the successes you're having, and I know all the struggles. Jesus knows. He knows about you, and he cares He is personally interested in you. Yes, even the insignificant things. He knows everything about you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. And my friends, he cares. You have a high priest in heaven who is personally interested in you. And he's not only personally interested in you, your great high priest is passionately interceding for you. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 tells us that he always makes intercession for us. In Romans 8.34, we read that he is at the right hand of God and there he is interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you. And the night in which he was arrested and betrayed, you know what he was doing in John 17? He was praying for his disciples, but then in verses 20 to 26, he was praying for those who yet believed. He was praying for you that night. Before he went to the cross, he prayed for you. And believe me, he saw your face. He knew everything about you. You are his bride. And he prayed for you. And he will not lose anyone who the Father has given to him. And he is at the right hand of the Father, passionately praying for you, passionately concerned for you. And you know what he's praying? He's praying that you make it to glory. He knows your struggles He knows the circumstances you're in and he's praying that you make it to glory. And here's the best thing about his prayers. Jesus always gets what he asks for. We have one who is actually concerned for us. So as we learn from a passage like this and have insight into the heart of a pastor, we learn the model of how we ought to treat one another. Ultimately, we are reminded of our great Savior. Let us pray. Our mighty God and Father, I thank you so much for the great care and concern that you have shown toward us. 
You care for us. And we are so thankful that we have the privilege to be able to come before you in prayer. We thank you so much that you have granted us a great high priest who is at your right hand. Though we are tempted to despair, we have one who is there who will care. We praise you and thank you and ask that you give us the overflow of what Christ does for us to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.